The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Performative politics will explain what that means this hour. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. It explains a lot of things, actually. <sighs> Talked earlier about a doula. That's a, a midwifey person. Is there a distinction? I don't know. Between a doula and a midwife? We hired a doula both times. Uh, what's the doula? Um, anyway, it's, it's somebody who assists with birth, who's not a, a doctor or a nurse, but is experienced in helping birth children. And they, she uh, hangs around so you don't have to every minute as the husband. You need to go to the bathroom or something like that. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. That's, yeah, that is handy. Uh, she was hounded out of her gig with a doulas association for claiming that only women give birth, <gasps> um, which is uh, transphobic. and That was uh, me tra- gasping. Trans- gasping. That was well, well gasped. Transgressive, trans uh, something or other. Um, and in that world, I was going to try to pass this off as real, Anya. And then, then hit you with the surprise. Aha! But I'm not going to. Because I think we can make the point more effectively by telling you in advance, this is parody. But it's impossible to tell that it's parody because people who are sincere about ridiculous stuff like the doula thing are every bit as ridiculous as the parody. Which makes it more difficult to write parody, but... Ask yourself one simple question. Why is daylight saving time not observed in most countries near the equator? 
Anyone with a modicum of social awareness will feel a keening sense of discomfort when contemplating the answer to the question posted above. Uh, We're here to explain. America's most infamous original patriarch first made the case for daylight saving time when he said, early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Perhaps we should have asked the Ben Franklin household's six slaves if they shared this same notion. Early to rise indeed. Simply put, the population circling the equator is made up of largely with people with high levels of melanin in their skin. In other words, there are persons of color. These populations determined long ago that daylight saving time is a weapon of oppression wielded by whites and their corporate patriarchal gods. Uh, For generations, the brave equatorial warriors have banished DST to the ash heap of anachronistic tools of oppression, and they will not go back. This is every bit as solid a reasoning as a lot of these real things I've read. Right. The corporate patriarchy will not let daylight saving time go without a fight for two reasons. Energy consumption and rampant capitalistic consumerism. And on and on it goes with all sorts of statistics, some of which are real and some of which I have a feeling are made up. And it is quite a convincing case. Consider, without daylight saving time, the additional sunlight absorbed will trigger massive vitamin D synthesis in the skin, thereby causing a darkening of the skin. The logicated and university-educated reader will clearly see that over time, the population persons of color will radically increase. Perhaps in only two generations, are you beginning to see the patriarchy's interest in maintaining the current regressive daylight saving time policies? Hilarious. Hilarious and beautifully wrought. Reminds me a lot of the uh, the fake uh, research papers that that those three scientists uh, yep. unleashed on the world. Just absolutely. absolutely brilliantly done. Really good. So, um, this idea of performative politics. I hadn't come across this. I'd thought about it, but... I'm not smart enough to put it as clearly. Last Monday, Representative Greg Walden of Oregon became the 15th Republican member of the House to announce his or her retirement from public office in advance of the 2020 election. Ranking member of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Cool gig. That's big. Cool gig. You wouldn't think a person like that would step down. Told Politico in a statement the time has come to pursue new challenges and opportunities. Uh, Despite being confident he could win another term if he wanted to. The move shocked much of Washington, but not Brendan Buck, former counselor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. Thoughtful legislating is not rewarded anymore, Buck told the Dispatch, which is a new uh, political thing. We live in an uh, era of entertainment politics, and if you want to work your way up through the system, the answer no longer is learning policy, putting your time in at the committee level, and becoming a legislator. The way to get ahead now is to go on television and use hyperbole and say crazy things. And so it is no surprise that some of our more thoughtful legislators are deciding to leave. Did you see the fawning, gag-inducing New York Times piece on Adam Schiff over the weekend? I did not. Oh, it was just awful. And it's so one of the worst parts of it is so soft-pedaled, the whole Russia hoax thing. It it, it uh, took a quick glance at that, but then moved on quickly. Saying, Let him off the hook for, ru- for saying, I've seen the evidence and all that sort of crap. Right. Right. And just went to what a rock star he is in impeachment. It was disgusting. But Adam Schiff is a beautiful example of that. I, I don't recall ever hearing somebody say, listen, he is a serious, uh, aggressive, quiet man who seeks the truth at every opportunity. No, he's a showman. Well, and uh, I remember Paul Ryan saying one time, that when he came to Congress, and I don't know when that would have been, 90s sometime, I'm guessing, he said when he got there, 
somebody took him aside and said, here's what you want to do. Becoming an expert in something. Mm-hmm. Pick an area that you want to become an expert in and become an expert in it. And then you work your way up through the committees that are involved with that. And that's what he did. He made his thing um, uh, budgets and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Some yeah. people go with foreign policy or military or whatever. Well, this is saying that, no, that's not the way you do it anymore. You you say outlandish, outlandish things on cable news shows. Mm-hmm. That's the way you go up. And Jonah Goldberg went on to say in the morning dispatch, um, it strikes a chord with me, this performative politics idea, because it jibes with arguments I've been making for a while now, uh, including in my book. I write about how one of the chief drivers of our political dysfunction is how we're increasingly following politics as a form of entertainment. Nobody could argue with that. Oh, no, no, that's clearly true. When you go to the movies, you root for the hero. Once you've bonded with the hero, you can forgive all sorts of terrible things you would never forgive in real life, from wow. torture to wanton killing. Well said. The emotional sweet tooth in our brain loves it some vengeance, whether in comedic or dramatic form. Liam Neeson's gotten rich on this idea. A lot of cable news addicts watch thoughtful discussions about public policy and respond like Homer Simpson when he accidentally stumbles on Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon. <laughs> Want more funny? Boring. Um, yeah, that is really interesting. So that is what we're doing. We bond with the hero... And then, you know, they rob a bank, but uh, they had to rob a bank because they're doing it for the right reasons or or whatever. Yeah. Those tellers would get over having a gun waved in their face. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. That's what's going on with politics now. I'm I'm not going to name any names, and I urge you not to name any names either, Jack. But the quietly earnest, serious, intelligent type of legislator, I have seen some of them get more grandstandy. Uh, I mean, notably more grandstandy. And some of them say, to hell with it, I can't take D.C. anymore. This is not my thing. Right. Yeah. And that seems to be the two main responses. Those who remain true to their their characters or or their, you know, their mentor's suggestions, like we were talking about Paul Ryan, generally just labor away in obscurity and nobody cares. There are 435 people in the House, 100 in the Senate. And this, this uh, uh, pops into my head every once in a while when one of them shows up on television or something and they're being interviewed, and I think, I didn't even know that person existed, mm-hmm. especially with senators. There's a, there's only a hundred of them, but there are a bunch of senators you've never heard of. You've never seen their face. Right. The main reason for that is they don't go on cable news shows and say crazy things. Mm-hmm. That's the number one reason you don't know who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anybody that thinks it's a good thing that we're moving more toward performative politics where going on radio and TV shows and saying really strong or funny things? Funny's a big one, too. Old What's-his-name Kennedy down in Louisiana. Yeah. That gets you on TV a, a lot. Hard. Oh, boy. Oh, gets you on TV a lot. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're in the era of performative politics. I don't think anybody would claim that that's a good thing. Mm, that's clearly no. where we are, and I doubt it ends anytime soon. Trump, the, gr- the greatest ever thus far. Um. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see how it how it goes, what it leads to. I mean, in a very real sense, Nixon and his sins led to uh, Jimmy Carter, the soft spoken Georgia fundamentalist Christian, and you know, in 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 many ways, uh, George W. the tough talking Texan led to the cool, effete Chicago intellectual Obama, and you know, we veer back and forth. I. These things generally self-correct a little bit. Nah, not this time. We're but doomed. I wonder whether We're just doomed. the character of the people has changed. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've said this in a dozen different contexts. A, a quietly earnest message will not break through. 
it won't break through uh, in the media, won't break through in politics. No, I blame the voters. On the, media screen, on the movie screen, rather. I blame the voters, by the way. I want to yes. make that clear. I do not blame various politicians for taking this direction. We, we, this is what we hunger for. This is what we, this is what we elevate. This is what we pay attention to. We're getting what we deserve. I believe that. In this case, um, should we start going through idiocracy to grab clips from it? Probably. To use it, it's a it. It used to be a ridiculous comedy. It's become a documentary about um, when American politics gets so ridiculous. Well, performative, uh, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd have to watch it, but it is one of my favorite movies of all time. So, among other things, we ought to get to is Ronan Farrow, who was on Bill Maher on Friday night and said something that uh, is is making some noise in the in the world of the Me Too movement and Bill Clinton. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Stop me and they said, Jack, why so much denim? But they also say, uh-huh. is impeachment actually going to happen? And, uh, boy, I've taken in a lot of news over the weekend, a lot of different pundits and stuff, reading, watching, all that sort of stuff. I haven't come across a single person, right or left, who doesn't believe it's going to go the full House sends it off to the Senate impeachment. Have you? They don't believe that? Anybody that doesn't believe it. I haven't come across anybody oh, who doesn't does believe that. Oh, that does not believe yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, um, one. No. Although I will tell you this. I'm still not convinced. And at every point, it's gotten postponed a little, and the polls are stalling on it. I'm just, I'm probably wrong, but I'm not 100% convinced. Although I think Nancy feels an obligation to at least get some articles passed and send them to the Senate, so... But I, I think there's zero chance it goes anywhere. Senate's going to say, uh, no, it's going to be over. Which a lot of your smart people say, then, so why are we doing this? Uh-huh. But I don't know. We'll see how it justice, plays out. Justice, Jack, justice. we got plenty of time to talk about that. So this happened on Bill Maher on Friday night. He was doing his little roundtable thing where he's got a bunch of different people on there, including Ronan Farrow, who wrote that book of Harvey Weinstein and all that sort of stuff. You know the guy. Could Bill Clinton... If he was, had done what he did in 1998, survived today, or would his own party have thrown him under the bus? Bill Clinton is a different conversation. He has been credibly accused of rape. That is, that is nothing to do with gray areas. That is, you know, I think the Juanita Broderick claim has been overdue for... But that's not what he was impeached one for. Now? Sure. But the conversation now, the question was, would Bill Clinton have escaped scrutiny now? For, I think no, no. has changed. I think Just don't for what he did... So uh, some people thought that is a fairly big deal, that Ronan Farrell might be sinking his teeth into the whole Juanita Broderick thing. Right. And him just stating Bill Clinton was credibly accused of rape. Yeah, because he was. Which a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, have said is right-wing talk radio crap. Right. It was dismissed out of hand for a very long time. And so you got to usually, believe the woman. And still is usually the rape charge. The other stuff, okay, he did this, you know, Touched Paula Jones or whatever, but not not a rapist. That's right. just that's just the right wing radio stuff. And Ronan Farrow just said it on Bill Maher. You know, just as an aside, anytime anybody's expressing principle in a political context, feel free to assume that they 
will abandon that principle when it ceases to help them. You can't be cynical enough about politicians. But I thought, you know, it was odd that Bill Maher was, um, he was insisting that, no, 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 not that. Go back to my original premise. Would he last for the the Monica thing? When the question Ronan Farrell was bringing up was much more interesting. I mean, let's, uh, with all due respect to the whole, uh, you know, sleeping with his intern, which is a good conversation, um, or sexing her up, um, yeah, go ahead and run with your guest's uh, narrative there, because that's, that's big. That's really big. The question of how is it rape was ignored, alleged rape, when Juanita Broderick, whose story I've been following for a long time, is absolutely plausible, her accusation. Um, it's it's way, 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 it's a hundred times more plausible than Christine Blasey Ford, which doesn't make one true and the other one not true. Evidence is not proof. Um, but that was ignored and poo-pooed by the left for decades. Why? I think that's a much more interesting question than, uh, you know, is the Monica thing enough to get him booted? The answer to that, by the way, is probably yes, almost certainly yes. In the current era, I mean, if Joe Biden turns out that he was sexing up his intern, like right now, no, that wouldn't. It'd be over. It'd be over within 24 hours. 48 if Joe was napping and hadn't heard about it. I introduced my kids to a cartoon over the weekend that they started watching and are really into. I'm going to sing a song for you. Hey, hey, hey. Fat Albert. Oh. The Bill Cosby Fat Albert cartoon. Great show. I don't know if you're aware of this. He's been canceled. Jack. <laughs> and uh, and I was thinking about that during the show because obviously my kids have known, don't know anything about Bill Cosby. Is that okay, though? Watching the Bill Cosby show? It's I think it's a great show. It's funny. I loved it as a kid. It's a great show. But that's okay to show your kids the Bill Cosby show? Uh, let everybody decide in their own home. So that's a no. Uh, what? No, it's an I'll let everybody decide in their own home. Don't put words in my mouth. That was a kind no is what that was. Uh, anyway. Um, it felt a little weird. The parts, yeah. if you've never seen the cartoon, it was very popular in the 70s. My brother and I would watch it every Saturday morning. Fat Albert and the gang, and it was a, and it had a message to it. Always a good message about bullying or the importance of school or whatever. While Bill Cosby was raping unconscious women at night. Well, they don't cover that in the show. No, they don't. No. And there are various breaks during the show where Bill Cosby's on screen. The young, good-looking Bill Cosby. I was looking at that, thinking you could you could have had sex with anybody you wanted to, dude. Yeah, boy. You didn't need to drug them and rape them. Hey, I'm Bill Cosby, and Fat Albert's having trouble with a bully. Well, let's see how he handles it. Just, it was just kind of weird to watch that, knowing who he is. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bill Cosby coming at you with music and fun. And if you're not careful, you may learn something before it's done. Hey, hey, hey. And if you're not careful, you just might rape somebody. Wow. I mean, he's... Uh, Come um, for the fat shaming, stay for the uh, rape allegations. He's among, the, he's among the worst serial rapists in the history of rape. Wow. Allegedly. Absolutely he is. Allegedly. And I'm watching his cartoon. Well, convictedly, at least with the one gal. Remember at the courtroom when he did the hey, hey, hey? Oh, that was great. Oh, God. Wasn't it? What a nut. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, a Democratic presidential race really tightening up with one candidate making some real strides in college debt, a life sentence for many. Marshall's news on the way. And uh, new poll numbers out. We're only a year out from the election now, you know. Oh, boy. 
Hey, Jack, do so you let your kids watch Bill Cosby's Fat Albert? Do you listen to Michael Jackson while they're watching the Fat Albert show? Are they wearing O.J. Simpson jerseys? Maybe you should buy some of that Charles Manson art. Not everybody agrees, apparently, wow. but it's okay to watch. Wow. The Cosby show, Fat Albert particularly. Uh, news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, we're uh, about a year out in the Democratic race for the presidential nomination going hot and heavy. We've got three new national polls now, fighting Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders leading the pack. There's uh, less than 100 days before the Iowa caucuses. That'll be the first real test of the Democratic primary. The WAPO ABC News poll gives Biden 28% support among Democratic voters and independents who lean Democratic. You got Warren at 23%, Sanders at 17%. Concern, though, is starting to pop up among Democrats about Bernie's health. More and more people are saying, eh, we're going to watch this one really closely. So I was talking to um, someone I know, young person in college, a female, and her and all her young friends are still big Bernie people and uh, and just uh, Pete's too moderate. And Warren's a pretender the Bernie people, for the young, mm. anyway. Mm. Um, I was just reading the dispatch, and General Goldberg was making the uh, the point that what Biden's got going for him that none of the other candidates have yet is the black vote. Yeah. Nobody has ever gotten the nomination in the Democratic Party without having the black vote, and he's got it just absolutely sewn up so far. But he's trailing in Iowa and New Hampshire. and Wow, so if he takes it in the teeth... In Iowa and New Hampshire. He's up 20 in South Carolina, where there's right. a heavy black vote, but nobody's ever done that before. Yeah, but I mean, if he really underperforms in Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, given the fact that uh, South Carolina is kind of unique among the early states and right. Super Tuesday and everything, I'm not sure that's enough. Here's one thing I came across over the weekend. So, um, But then where do you go? With the ancient socialists who the kids like? Forget right. it. Nate Sober, the guy from 538, the website, right. he went back through the uh, polls. Do national polls predict anything one year out? And he went back to 1980, and there's not much polling before 1980, which I find fascinating on its own. Yes. That it's that recent a phenomenon that we decided to have polls come out every two days from ten different sources. Ugh. Nobody even did that really before 1980. And we were fine. And we were fine and quite possibly better off without polls leading people various directions. But anyway. Which polls? All of them. Okay. Since 1980, on the Democratic side, you got 15 races. How often did the person leading in the national poll one year out end up the nominee since 1980? Eight out of 15 times. So slightly more than half. Mm. Pretty much a coin flip. Right. So, I don't know what that tells me. Well, it, it says that the front runner right now has a better chance than the other people. Barely. Don't bet. Well, you can't bet the field. So I was watching Mary, Mayor Pete yesterday on yeah. ABC. You this know what week. it says? It says the polls are mildly interesting, which is exactly how I find them. If I had to put money on somebody right now, it'd be Mayor Pete. Wow! Listen to that. Great. Too we'll young. See. Too too mayorly. <laughs> <laughs> to G-A-Y for South Carolina. That could be true. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete in this WAPO poll is at 9%. That is up from the 4% he had last month. And in all three of these polls, he keeps ticking up, ticking up, ticking up. Here's a question for you. If he were Senator Pete or Governor Pete, would he not lead the polls by 10 points? Probably. Probably. Yeah. 
Uh, it took me a while to take him at all seriously because he was just the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. I wanted to get the clip, but I didn't grab it, of him talking about fiscal conservatism, and he was talking about the national debt, and he said the Republican Party has abandoned it. And I th- he said, I think the Democrats need to take it on, and we need to look at it, because if we don't, nobody does, mm-hmm. and, that, and then we're doomed. And I thought, that's oh. a good line. Yeah. I don't know if he can get the nomination, but he'd be a, I think he'd be a tough general election opponent. The he le- sure as hell separated himself from uh, from Sanders' clause and, and, and Mrs. Sanders. <laughs> The last election that he won, he did so in a in an election where around ten thousand votes total were cast. Right, right, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. get it. I get where uh, how amazing that would be. Isn't Mayor Pete just a little variation on Donald Trump though? In that, all right, no, no, the pros, the hacks, the rehearsed lines, and the focus groups. Screw them. Let's try a mayor from Indiana. The same impulse. He also tried this line, uh, which I thought was pretty good as a general election line. He said, I want to be a president. When people think of the president in the White House, their heart rate goes down, not up. <laughs> That's a pretty good line. Uh, I, get, I, I, I get it. 90% of college graduates with student loans think of their debt as a life sentence. A new study carried out on behalf of Splash Financial Talk to a thousand undergrad and a thousand. Now, is that a website that refinances student loans, Marshall? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, they talked to they talked to two thousand undergraduate and postgraduate degree holders. They found that ninety percent of them see that student debt as a never-ending financial burden. Eighty-two percent admitting that student debt is affecting their major life decisions, and almost half. Well, then don't the, borrow that much money and don't go to such an expensive college. You'll and, be fine. Almost half the grads said that buying a house is going to be a financial impossibility for them. <laughs> the first verbiage when you Google the phrase "splash financial" is their website, and they say. Refinance your student loans you with Splash Financial. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Marsh. Sorry to call you out like that, but shame. Shame. Shame on you. Shame. Take off all your clothes, walk through the streets. Shame. <laughs> well, my coworkers. Michael, throw... get some good garbage to throw yeah, Marsh. I was going to say, well, my coworkers hurl garbage at me. Exactly. Shame. <laughs> all right. Hurl garbage. Shame. Shame. That's shame. It. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. In the really sad cases, my son has a friend, this this gal. Oh, she's such a sweetheart. But for various uh, personal reasons, she had to drop out. She could not finish college. Um, and so now she's saddled with a fair amount of debt and doesn't make much money and the rest of it. And, you know, the whole personal decision thing and you ought to approach it differently and do it differently. I agree with you 100% on that. I'm all. I'm ready to go all Dave Ramsey with you there. Um, on the other hand, the whole bloated, overly expensive, government money distorted college thing is just so wrong right now. God, tear it down, somebody, somehow. I'll just read this text. Uh, reading text does not uh, indicate an endorsement or whatever. Certainly not. So the, quote, more intelligent than non-degreed Republican voter liberal... Whoa, 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 whoa. That was that phrase was confusing. Yeah, Did you say was, again? That was all in quotes. It's easier to read than to say. Okay. That was all in quotes. So the more intelligent than non-degreed Republican voter liberal, you're a liberal who's smarter than Republicans who don't have degrees. Okay. Is in college debt for life. Damn. I'm guessing I should sell my second home, go back to school and get a degree in gender studies and start over at $100,000 in debt. 
That's some fine sarcasm right there. Huh? Wow. Now that I got to the end of it, I love it. Uh, there was a joke on Saturday Night Live that was somewhat controversial. We're going to play it. Good idea or bad idea? Well, we'll see after it's over. If it makes you grin, leave it in. It's on the way on, the Armstrong, on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A 57-year-old woman in China gave birth this week. The birth set a record for most friction. (laughs) See, you guys don't realize it, but that joke took me like four hours to write. I had much better punchlines, but the fellows at NBC Standards said they were all too dirty. Like, at first, I was going to say, well, I hope that kid likes his milk chalky. (laughs) They said, you can't say that on TV. It was my second favorite punchline. My first favorite being, she can breastfeed just by standing over the crib. Oh, my God. Right? Uh, that is some unfortunate ageism. No, there. I didn't appreciate that at all. But how old was the woman who had a baby? 56? 67. 67? Oh, geez, Ooh. I wasn't even close. 56-year-old mother thinks that's old. How is that even possible? Eh. Was that a full-on... In vitro fertilization. Okay. And okay. Still got to work in the gotcha. uterus, apparently. Okay. So she just wasn't having uh, RV uh, uh, fun at the old folks' home. <laughs> Apparently not. I don't know. Stands for recreational vehicle. I don't know how she got impregnated. That's that's not the point. This is a Could story you, about science. Did you look into it? And about the uh, <laughs> the the plucky spirit of a person who absolutely should never have a child having one. Um, uh, impeachment front. Okay. No. What, what, what just? All I just right. want to hit you with a headline and then nothing else. Like, okay. Uh, All right. Um, It'll be over quickly, folks. <laughs> this will only hurt for a minute. Oh. I was just talking to uh, Derek, our coworker. He said, how's it going? I said, oh, the news is so tedious. Actually, he said, hey, how's, how's it going? He has a very hey, low voice. Hey, Joe, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> Incredibly low voice. Yeah. Um, but the, the news is tedious. Uh, a lot of it is. Well, it's just so phony, and it's it's posturing, and, and, and people who want to you to follow them are pretending it's important, but it's really not. Well, what's your my, my personal stance, like in my own real life, even if I weren't doing this, I think would be, when they start jawing out in the open, I'll probably pay some attention. Sure, yeah. And I don't feel like I will live. Well, the Republican, I don't care. It, maybe everything I've heard is true. Maybe everything I've heard is false, but regardless, I'll be able to catch up pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. Once they start talking about it for real. Well, and to me, unless something crazy happens, all of the salient facts are known, or virtually all of them. So it's just trying to sway opinions. It's all editorializing. There are There is no more news coverage going on. Of all the impeachment stuff, it's just editorializing. John Bolton showing up or not Thursday could be exciting. Yes, yeah, just because he brings it. Well, he's but that's entertaining. Yeah, 
And he's got to be mad at Trump for firing him, and he doesn't like Trump's foreign policy. Right. Which I think is a wild card. Yeah, but he will be editorializing. He probably will not say, oh, that's right, and also Donald Trump, he stabbed to death the uh, the premier of Sri Lanka or whatever. No, he's just going to say it was terrible, it was improper, blah, blah, blah. Microsoft tried a four-day work week in Japan. We've talked about this a fair number of times. Oh, my gosh. My daughter just started a new job, Kate, my oldest, and it's the four-day work week. Four <laughs> 10-hour days? Oh, Is that the way they do it? Ten and a half, because she gets a lunch break. It's that mm-hmm. kind of job. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, she said, yeah, you're pretty damn tired at the end of it, but at the end of the day. But she's just started, so too early to say. I've always thought I would like that. I, 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 do, I would be shocked if I didn't love that. I mean, if I had a regular job. This is not a regular job. Right. Right. When I mean, we can't do a five-hour show four days and take Fridays off, it's not the same sort of thing. Are you sure? Wait a second. Why can't we do that? Wait a minute. Can we? <laughs> I think we might be able to. You should at least ask. <laughs> I mean, that, that fifth hour is going to be mailed in, man. I mean, let's be honest. But but I think in general, if I got a job where I can just, it doesn't make any difference if I do the work on Friday or Wednesday in an extra hour. I'm looking for the job that allows me to work one 40-hour day. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Well, Kind of like firefighters, the, the, a lot of what they do is practically that, are those 24-hour days that they work. Um, adds up to not very many days a month. A lot of TV watching, by the way, in that jo- that job. <laughs> oh, Why'd you do the air quotes like I, that? What? <laughs> not in. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, the point of it all being you get a three-day weekend every dang week. And remember, every time you get a three, every time I get a three-day weekend, I think, this is so awesome. Oh, yeah, I know it. It's just such a, it's a completely different world than the two-day weekend for some reason. And my theory on that is because you are, on the traditional two-day weekend, you are never more than one day removed from working. You either worked yeah. yesterday or I'm working tomorrow. There's never just that, <laughs> ah. I'm a long way away from somebody telling me what to do. Anyway, they tried this in uh, Japan. The company introduced a program this summer in Japan called the Work-Life Choice Challenge, which shut down its offices every Friday in August to give all employees an extra day off each week. The results were promising. While the amount of time spent at work was cut dramatically, productivity measured by sales per employee went up almost 40% what? compared to the same period the previous year. Now, the trouble with doing that is year over year. I don't know when their business it might just have been a good year, you know? Mm, yeah, true. Sometimes things are up for all kinds of different reasons. The economy is better, or the weather is better. And is this a thing that is good for a month, but not sustainable over a right. year? In addition to reducing work hours, managers urge staff to cut down on the time they spent in meetings. Amen to that. And responding to emails. They suggested that meetings should last no longer than 30 minutes. Employees were also encouraged to cut down on meetings altogether by using an online messaging app. Of course, Microsoft's, but... Well, geez, the eliminated meetings and productivity went way up. That should be the headline out of here. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, if I have a three-day weekend every weekend, there's other things that are going to go up, too. And and not all of them are good. I I love weight, alcohol consumption. I love Friday afternoon because we work super early, so the afternoon is our evening. But I love Friday afternoon so much, I can't even tell you. I remember when I was childless and it was like that. My Friday afternoons are no different than my Monday mornings. Right. I mean, they're just... They're no different whatsoever. In fact, Saturdays I enjoy, but Saturdays you can smell Sunday night from. Like Sean was saying. Yeah. You're just just so close. Yep, yep. The whiff of news reaches your... Or or of work, rather, reaches your nostrils. Yeah, I haven't relaxed in, I think, almost 10 years. 
Mm. I don't think I've relaxed in 10 years. How's that going I'm like telomeres about this long. Oh, boy. I don't know how long they're supposed to be, but they're this long. Like you've been taking 60 grit (laughs) sandpaper to them. (laughs) By shutting down earlier each week, the company was also able to save on other resources such as electricity. Does that... Does that really add up that much? I suppose in a big building, if everybody, if all the lights are off and the temperatures reduce electricity cost by twenty percent. Uh, no, but because remember, you're still working the same number of hours. No, they it's said just the compressed over days. Hours were reduced. Yeah, and this productivity one, and, went up. And, and, it's not for ten hour days. Yeah, in this particular thing, it's not for oh, ten hour days. It's just for like regular days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, please. I'm Microsoft Japan. Here I come. Learn the language and. And anything about computers, and I'm in. <laughs> Get you one of those hats that they wear in Japan, I assume. I can come in and make jokes about the news. Man, we don't really need one of those. Especially in English. <laughs> yeah, not really. Well, Google Translate, come on. So that would be that would be the, the key question to what Sean brought up to me, is if you, if you got that much more productivity out of fewer hours by having a four-day week, can you sustain that, or is that just the, let, let's show everybody that this works. Let's show the bosses this works by really pulling together and working hard so we can keep our three-day weekends. Does that wear off over time? Well, it it might. I'd like to see those studies done. I, I don't know. Judy and I spent five, six hours a day for a couple of days cleaning our garage uh, a, a couple of weeks back, and it was we were spectacularly uh, productive. You extrapolate that over the course of a year, by God, we could achieve anything. Except that we're completely exhausted by the end of it. You can only keep it going for so long. So I, I wonder. But I I don't know. Uh, the five-day week is is a historical curiosity. It's like the time change. It doesn't right. need to be that way anymore. No, no. No, particularly with things like email and being able to work remotely via the Internet, stuff like that, for a lot of jobs. Right. You know, one of the few insights I've gained as I've grown older, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. And I'd urge our younger listeners in particular to remember this. Number one, that which is... Should be forever. No. (laughs) Just because it is doesn't mean that it should be. Lots of stupid stuff gets started, and then we just kind of get stuck in it. So go ahead and question the five-day work week or the two-party system or whatever. Go ahead. And the second thing is, just because it is doesn't mean it's always been. Humanity was fine before a lot of stuff got started, and we'd probably be better going off, uh, going back to it not happening anymore. I'll work two 20-hour days, drink a lot of coffee in between. I'll show Take up like the, a three-hour nap. you got to commute. I'll show up to the first one really well-rested, and I'll have uh, five days off. Oh, that reminds me, speaking of the commute, I've been reading, trying to comprehend what Apple is doing. The big tech company, speaking of tech, with their billions of dollars toward housing programs... In Silicon Valley. Why are they doing that? It's gotten so upside down and insane. I mean, I was looking at uh, one of my favorite real estate websites. Here is a cute little 2,800 square foot house. Okay? It's a decent sized little house in the suburbs. It's $2.7 million. And it's on a tiny little lot. That's crazy. Okay? That's crazy. And so Apple realizes, okay. God, for $2.7 million, you should have 300 acres, your own lake, a couple of houses. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but it's gotten so crazy because the big giant tech companies are paying their people a lot and there's zillions of people moving in and housing so out of control that, that Apple's trying to become a government unto itself. And the average commute time is up to an hour and a quarter in that part of the world. That's oh. the average. Oh, my God. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.